Chapter 7 of Dynamic Thought or The Law of Vibrant Energy by William Walker Atkinson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra Knight. www.sandranight.net. The Paradox of Science. In the days of the ancients, when the philosophers found themselves unable to account for any particular class of phenomena, they bundled it together and referred it to a suppositous something that they called the ether. Finding this an easy way to get rid of vexatious questions, they fell into the custom, and the habit grew upon them. Soon there were a dozen or more different kind of ethers in vogue, each explaining something else, the something else, by the way, being things that science now feels that it understands pretty well. These ethers grew to be like the various vapors of the ancients, a dignified term for, we don't know, a respectable road for retreat under the semblance of an advance. These ethers became a scientific scandal and caused a lax mode of thinking among students of those times, and so they were finally abolished and relegated to the scrap pile of science, where they lay for many centuries until a comparatively recent period, when at least one of them was hauled forth, dusted, freshened up a little, and placed upon its old pedestal. This revamped ether referred to was the ether of Aristotle. Aristotle, as we know, was a famous Greek philosopher who lived about 350 B.C., about 2,250 years ago. He was a good man and a celebrated philosopher, but was somewhat deficient in scientific knowledge. Although he knew many things and uttered many wise thoughts, he was under the impression that the breath of man entered the heart instead of the lungs, that the back part of the skull was empty, and so on. He was without the advantages of a modern training, which was not his fault, however. Well, Aristotle conceived the idea of a universal ether, which he thought pervaded all space, and with which he accounted for the passage of light from the sun and stars, the movements of the planets, and various other physical phenomena. It is not known whether Aristotle really believed in this ether, or whether he merely used it as a speculative hypothesis following the ether habit of his contemporaries. At any rate, his theory served its purpose, lived, flourished, declined, and died, at least seemed to be dead. But its corpse was resurrected in modern times and used to account for diverse things. This does not mean that modern thinkers really believe in the universal ether. They merely assume it as a working hypothesis until something better is offered. Its principal modern use is to account for the transmission of light from the sun and stars to the earth. It was held that a thing could not act where it was not, and so it became necessary to account for the transmission either by the theory that small particles of substance were thrown off from the sun and traveled to the earth, or else that there was some medium of communication by means of vibrations, etc. Newton held to the first theory, but his hypothesis went down before the ether advocates, who advanced the wave theory, although it seems that, like Banquo's ghost, Newton's theory will not stay down, and is now taking on a new lease of life, owing to the discovery of the corpuscle and radiant matter. 
the wave theory philosophers asserted that the light and heat of the sun were thrown off in the shape of force or energy and transformed into waves in and of a hypothetical ether aristotle's own which waves were carried to the earth where meeting substance they were again transformed into heat and light it was known that light and heat traveled at the rate of one hundred and eighty four thousand miles per second and therefore the waves of the ether were considered to have that speed the wave theory seemed to fit the facts of the case better than the newtonian theory of corpuscles although the latter has always been considered as better explaining certain phenomena than the new theory and so the ether wave became generally accepted and remains so to-day although recent discoveries are causing a disturbance in the scientific camp regarding the question later it was discovered that the electricity travelled at the same rate as light and heat and the wave of the ether theory was thus thought to have additional verification and electricity came under the law and remained there until the electron discovery which is causing much disturbance among those interested in the study of electricity briefly stated the theory of the universal ether is this that pervading all space in the universe not only between planets stars and suns but also filling in the cracks between molecules and atoms as well there is a subtle substance in and through which the waves of light heat electricity and magnetism travel at the rate of one hundred and eighty four thousand miles per second this substance is said to be matter that is not matter in fact science does not venture to say just what it is although it freely states just what some of its properties must be and alas these properties are most contradictory and opposite to each other as we shall see as we proceed the universal ether is purely hypothetical it has been called a necessity of science something assumed for the purpose of explaining or accounting for certain phenomena it is undemonstrated and unproved in fact may truthfully be said to be undemonstrable and unprovable some have gone so far as to say that its claimed properties and qualities render it unthinkable as well and yet science finds itself compelled to assume that the ether or something like it exists or else cease speculating about it it belongs to the realm of pure theory and yet many writers treat it as if it were a positively demonstrated and proven fact let us examine into the nature of science's problem and her attempted solution and the trouble arising therefrom light travels at the rate of one hundred and eighty four thousand miles a second remember that light and heat are that which we call by those names only when considered in connection with substance according to the theory light in the sun's atmosphere is transformed into a light wave of the ether on its travels to the earth and only when the wave comes in contact with the substance on the earth's body or atmosphere does it become again transformed into light as we know it in its travels through space it meets with no substance and has nothing to turn into light consequently space between worlds is in a state of absolute darkness the same is true of heat an inner world space is absolutely cold although passing through it are countless heat waves of great intensity which later on will be transformed into heat when they reach the substance the earth the same is true of electricity and magnetism 
although the ether as we have seen is a purely theoretical substance yet science has found it reasonable to conclude that it must be possessed of certain attributes in order to account for certain known facts thus it is said to be frictionless else the worlds suns and planets could not pass freely through it nor could the light and heat waves travel at such a tremendous rate it also is thought to have something like inertia because motion once started in it persists until stopped because it is at a state of rest until motion is imparted to it and because it takes a fraction of time to impart motion to it it is thought to be different from substance in any of its known forms for many reasons among such being the fact that no known form of substance could carry vibrations through space at the rate of one hundred and eighty four thousand miles a second and light and heat waves travel at that rate and have forms and shapes and lengths of their own light for instance vibrates on two planes and a light wave is something like a greek cross thus having a horizontal and a vertical line or plane of vibration and the ether cannot be a fluid of any degree because a fluid cannot transmit cross vibrations at all and it cannot be a solid because a solid could not stand vibrations at such a terrific speed and still remain a solid and yet to transmit the two plane light waves the ether must have a certain degree of rigidity else the waves could not travel lord kelvin estimated this degree of rigidity as about nineteen billionth of the rigidity of the hardest steel so you see science is compelled to assume that the ether is a continuous frictionless medium possessing both inertia and rigidity some scientists have thought it to be a kind of elastic jelly of the ether professor oliver lodge has said we have to try and realize the idea of a perfectly continuous subtle incompressible substance pervading all space and penetrating between the molecules of ordinary matter which are embedded in it and connected to one another by its means and we must regard it as the one universal medium by which all actions between bodies are carried on this then is its function to act as the transmitter of motion and energy to give you an idea of the wonderful thing that science is compelled to think of the ether as being by reason of the qualities it is compelled to ascribe to it although it confesses itself unable to imagine the nature of the thing which it has created in bits by the adding and bestowing of qualities which were made necessary by the logical requirements of the case let us take a hurried view of the thing as the several departments of science say it must be thought of to meet the requirements of the case science says that the universal ether must be substance infinitely more rare and evanescent than the finest gas or vapor known to science even in its rarest condition it must convey heat in the manner of an infinitely solid body and yet it must not be a solid it must be transparent and invisible it must be frictionless and yet incompressible it cannot be a fluid it cannot have attraction for substance such as all substance has nor can it have weight that is it is not subject to gravitation it is beyond the reach of any known scientific instrument even of the greatest power and it refuses to register itself in any way either to senses or instruments 
it cannot be known of itself but may only be recognized as existent by the things for which it acts as a medium or transmitting agent it must convey energy and motion yet it must not take up any part of either from the matter in its midst it must not absorb any of the heat light or electricity it must fill up the spaces between the worlds as well as the most minute space between the molecules atoms and corpuscles or any other minute particle of substance either known by name to science now or which may be discovered or imagined later as a necessity of some conception regarding the nature of substance in short the universal ether in order to do the things attributed to it must be more solid than solids more vapor-like and gas-like than vapor or gas more fluid than fluids infinitely less rigid than steel and yet infinitely stronger than the strongest steel it must be a substance having the qualities of a vacuum it must be continuous and not composed of particles atoms or molecules it must be an everything in some respects and yet a nothing in others it must not be substance and yet it must carry substance within its ocean of dimensions and besides interpenetrate the most minute space between the particles of substance it must not be energy or force and yet science has been considering energy and force as but interruptions of rest or agitations within and of itself so you see that this mysterious wonderful universal ether in order to be at all must be a something possessing certain qualities or properties of substance many of the properties of qualities being exactly contradictory and opposed to each other and yet it cannot be substance as we know it it is a paradoxical thing it could only belong to another and an entirely different order of existence from that of substance as we know it it must possess characteristics and properties of an order as yet unknown to us by name for which the material world contains no analogy for which substance has no analogues it must be a far more complex thing than is even the most complex thing we call matter or that which we call force or energy and yet it has been claimed that it would explain both yes contain within itself the possibility of both and yet in face of what has just been said the writer must confess humbly and with a full realization of the enormity of the offence that he supposes advancing a theory a little further on in this book that will attempt to identify this something this universal ether with a something else that we know although not through the senses or by means of instruments bear with him kindly he begs of you while he proceeds gradually along the path that leads to the theory scientists have compared substance moving through the ether as a coarse sieve moving through water the latter making room for the passage of the sieve and then closing up behind it if this be amended by the idea that the moving sieve while allowing the water to pass through it freely still carries along with it a thin film of water which clings to the wires of the sieve by adhesion if there be admitted this clinging film as well as the body of the water through which the sieve moves then the illustration answers quite well as a crude illustration of substance and the ether this fact is important in view of the theory that will be advanced further on in this book 
Professor Lodge, in his interesting work, Modern Views of Electricity, mentions a number of experiments tending to prove the above-mentioned fact, which is not so generally known as other facts relating to the ether. Until the discovery of radiant matter, bringing with it the new theories of the corpuscle or electron, etc., brushed aside into the dust heap many generally accepted scientific theories regarding the nature of substance, the favored and most popular theory was what was known as the vortex ring, the theory of the atom. This theory held that the atoms of substance were but vortex rings of the ether, having had motion communicated to them in some way, and which afterwards acquired other motions, and which finally become apparent to our senses as substance. In other words, the atom was supposed to be a vortex ring of ether, acted upon by force, in some unknown way, the character, nature, and properties of the atom being determined by the shape and size of the vortex ring, the rate of motion, etc., etc., the new discoveries of science, however, have set aside, at least temporarily, this vortex ring theory, and at present science seems to find its latest thing in substance, in the theory that substance, at the last, seems to be the corpuscle or electron. In other words, after many years of fancied security and a settled theory regarding the nature of substance, science once more finds itself compelled to take up the search for the origin of things. But the theory of the ether remains, and is likely to, although the names applied to it will change. By some it is still believed that in the ether, a little further removed, rests the origin of substance and that the corpuscle may be the vortex ring product instead of the atom. It will be noticed that science has made no serious attempt to connect the phenomenon of gravitation or attraction with the ether. Gravitation stands alone an outsider among the forces, responding to none of their laws, needing no time in which to travel, needing no medium like the ether in which to transmit waves, fearing no obstacle or interfering body, but passing right through the same, different, different, different. And we shall see why this difference when we reach the point where our theory brings us to the point where we must substitute something else, for that great paradoxical general solvent of modern science, the ether of Aristotle. We shall reach the point after a brief consideration of motion, force, and energy. End of chapter 7